Welcome to Future Charlotte, the podcast where we talk to the people who are shaping the future of our city. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. Our guest today is Mike Hill, Chief Financial Officer at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Mike, thanks for joining us. That's a real privilege, privilege to be here. So first off, uh, basic intro. Tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and how you came to CLT. Yeah, so I'm a native of Indiana, born and raised. Uh, grew up with a passion for aviation. Started going out to the airport when I was probably about 14 years old. My father took me out for my first flight lesson. So, so get, got involved in aviation at a relatively early age and just continued a passion for that. Ended up... Uh, having an interest in business and finance together with aviation and ended up pursuing a degree in aerospace administration and business administration at Indiana State University. Uh, once I had completed that, I wanted to try to get my foot in the door. I'd do just about anything to get into the airport sector. So I ended up moving about 3000 miles west to, uh, to the middle of the desert in Yuma, Arizona to take my first job as an airport operations officer. There they gave me some exposure to different levels of airport management, um, got involved in some airport budgeting, airport finance, participated in their first bond issuance, and, uh, and also worked on some federal grant applications and so on and so forth. Uh, spent a couple of years out there, um, decided to move a little bit closer home. Um, there was an opportunity here in Charlotte uh, for with a small uh, aviation consulting company called Newton & Associates. Uh, they're located here, they focus on business and financial aspects of the airport industry. Uh, their main client base was airports all over the southeastern part of the country with a couple out west. Um, so I did that for about 16 years. Charlotte was, was my largest client at the time. Um, had a close working relationship with the management over there going all the way back to, to Jerry Orr in those days. And then uh, working right in, uh, under Brent Cagle, who, who, you, who I'm sure you know. Uh, Brent was the CFO at the time and uh, he recruited me to come over to the airport to serve as his deputy CFO, and I uh, was really excited about that opportunity. That was in about 2013. Uh, shortly after some organizational restructuring that occurred at the airport, Brent was promoted to the aviation director, and Brent appointed me as the CFO. Um, that was probably about six or so years ago when I assumed the CFO position here in Charlotte. So it's been a long run. It's been exciting. Um, just had a real uh, wonderful career and aviation, absolutely in love with the city of Charlotte. I've been here 25 years now. I consider myself a Charlottean. Yeah, that's close enough. I'm, I'm coming up on 13 years, so I'm, I'm getting there. Um, it's funny, you know, when I covered the airport uh, in my former career at the Charlotte Observer, I noticed there were two kinds of people really uh, who worked at the airport. Some of them were, you know, aviation nuts, and some of them, um, like Jerry and Brent, you know, didn't really like to fly and would, and would tell you that uh, they would, they would drive places instead. And it sounds like you're definitely in the former category. That's, that would be very accurate. <laughs> so a lot of people during this pandemic, I'm sure have uh, probably not been to the airport in a while. It's crazy. We're coming up on the, you know, two year anniversary, start of year three. I know traffic numbers have started to uh, to come back, but for people who haven't been to CLT in a while, um, tell me kind of where we stand with some of the biggest expansion projects and what's coming up next. Well, if you've not been to the airport in a while, you'll notice a lot of changes. Um, as you probably know, Eli, we're in the midst of a very ambitious capital development program. We call it Destination CLT. Um, we're about midway through that program. That's a $3.5 billion capital development program that focuses on 
expanding the needs of, of our airfield facilities to accommodate additional flights, and also focusing on our terminal facilities to provide the gates, ticket counters, and other infrastructure that we need to serve not only the existing demand, but the, the demand that we anticipate over the next 10 years. And so we have completed a number of those projects. Um, you may have seen the new uh, parking deck that opened back in, I think it was on 2016, was the first signature project, a new upper level and lower level roadway project, which is recently complete. The next phase of that was, uh, was the uh, uh, Concourse A expansion, phase one, which gave us another 10 gates out on the, uh, um, off the A concourse heading to the north. And we're currently in the midst of a, a terminal uh, lobby redevelopment program. Uh, it's a $600 million expansion of our ticketing and bag claim and security check-in facilities. That project is, is still underway. A lot of people asked, well, what was, what was the COVID impact of that development? Did you all stop? Did you delay? We did not. Uh, COVID did require us to, to, to pivot in many, in many different instances, especially on the CIP, on the capital side. Uh, we decided that the existing demand for terminal lobby facilities necessitated that we continue that project and continue it um, in, in accordance to its original schedule. There were many other projects that we did look at carefully, a couple of which we postponed. We did not cancel anything. Um, really, it was just a matter of, of evaluating the existing conditions that COVID presented to us, identifying and prioritizing the projects that we needed to continue to pursue, and, and, the, and the terminal lobby was a, big, was a big piece of that. Another project that we're really excited about um, to give us a much needed capacity on the terminal side is uh, an expansion to our Concourse E. Um, if you've ever had the, the, the privilege, or I guess not, of flying out on that concourse, that is our busiest concourse. And a number of those gates do not currently contain passenger boarding bridges. So if you, sometimes our customers would have to board in, in rain, inclement weather conditions and whatnot. This project was intended to address those concerns and to really provide a higher level of passenger experience. The project is also gonna provide um, a significant expansion of our concession offerings out there right now, just given the size of that concourse did not allow us an opportunity to really provide the level of concessions that we felt our customers needed. So. That project will open here uh, late spring, early summer of this year. So, so we're really excited about that. That will also give us an additional gate. Um, one gate may not seem like a lot, but we are 100% constrained from a gate capacity perspective. Every gate is, is desperately needed. And so that, that little extra capacity will help American and its regional operation continue to grow and do what it does. Um, on the airfield side, we continue to uh, pursue a couple major uh, airfield capacity enhancing projects, not the runway yet, that, that's still out into the future a little bit, but these projects uh, are about $500 million worth of work. They're going to enhance the safety of aircraft operations and also enhance our uh, overall capacity, especially during winter weather operations. So it's really just adding a system of additional taxiways that help the aircraft move more efficiently across the airfield. Um, I'm sure if you've, if you've ever flown in Charlotte, I'm sure you've probably had the experience of having to stop and hold short on certain taxiways. And it seems sometimes like forever to get yeah, back to Sometimes it seems like that, that part takes longer than the flight, depending where you're it, coming from. It does. It, it certainly can. And so the, these improvements are intended to address those types of concerns. And again, there is a safety element. We want to really try to prevent aircraft from having to, uh, to cross active runways. Uh, and so these, these projects will help, uh, help enable us to do that. We felt like it was critical for us to continue to pursue those projects COVID notwithstanding. So I feel like Charlotte 
has often been kind of a contrarian airport in some ways through its history. You know, Charlotte was always um, more conservative about expanding, keeping the cost per passenger really low. When a lot of airports uh, in other places were being de-hubbed, Charlotte was, you know, just getting bigger and prospering. When a lot of airports were adding, you know, really um, luxurious amenities, Charlotte, you know, still had like the concourse B drop ceilings and carpet from the 80s and, you know, uh, was just really efficient. Um, it really made its its niche as this second low cost hub in the southeast and really capitalized on that. A lot of passengers go between planes rather than starting or stopping their destination at Charlotte's always been a huge connecting hub uh, with a relatively small amount of local uh, traffic. Now that our population's growing, travel patterns are changed maybe from COVID, uh, the business of aviation could be changed permanently going forward. I don't think we know exactly what those impacts look like um, five to 10 years out. What does Charlotte's future look like? Is that uh, kind of low cost connecting niche still the airport's future? And how do you see CLT and uh, the evolution of the airport going forward? Well, that's a great question. It's something that we're very proud of. Um, you know, as a CFO, I'm very attuned to to the cost environment and the importance of our cost structure, and not only for the hubbing carrier, but also to attract additional carriers into the market, right? So there's really, a, there's two sides to the equation and sometimes they're not always in perfect alignment. Um, as, as American being the hubbing carrier representing about 90% of the total flights, uh, obviously we wanna provide the, the cost effective infrastructure that will allow them to continue to grow. And as they grow, they're able to, to introduce new, new, new markets into the, into the airport, into the community. Uh, on the flip side, it's also important we have a big responsibility to make sure that we're providing a cost competitive environment. Um, you know, airfares out of Charlotte, um, they used to be historically amongst the highest. We are no longer holding that title, thankfully. I think a lot of that has to do with some changes in, in Americans' pricing approach in terms of how it's, in terms of how it's pricing its fares, but also the introduction of several new low cost carriers over the last couple of years. Uh, Frontier and Spirit have both initiated service, um, given the fact that there is an impending merge, and we can get into that a little bit later. But um, so uh, between Frontier and Spirit, uh, we've got eight airlines in total that are that are providing service, many in competitive markets with American and uh, and helping us bring down the overall cost to the customers. But, you know, going back to the to the uh, to the cost advantages, that is something that, that we really take very seriously. Um, in order for us to be able to do that, a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of other airports will come and say, well, what is your success? How do you keep your cost structure so low? And it really is a part of the culture that exists in, in, within the city of Charlotte and at the Charlotte Airport specifically, that we will be among, if not the most efficiently run operation in the country. Uh, that certainly helps keep our cost structures low. We also look to opportunities um, in terms of where we're actually spending our money. Uh, we look to the bond market as an example. We, we look at our, uh, at our credit. Um, we're a AA rated airport, which is among the top 10 uh, credit rated airports in the country. And that helps, helps us keep our cost of capital very low as we're able to access the, uh, the investment community for affordable interest rates. And those costs are then passed along to the airlines um, in the form of rates and charges. Uh, they pay landing fees and they pay terminal rents for the privilege of operating at the airport. 
So we want to continue to, to, to keep those costs really low. Um, and that really helps American. And, and they've demonstrated as they've publicly acknowledged that they intend to continue to reinvest and grow specifically in their top two hubs at uh, Dallas, Fort Worth and Charlotte. And they often recognize our cost structure as being a key ingredient to, uh, to, to their continued growth. And on the other side, with the other airlines, it's, it's critical for us to continue to provide the infrastructure so that they can continue to grow. And also the, the cost structure uh, that we have incentivizes some airlines who we may be otherwise on the fence to, uh, to actually initiate service into the market when otherwise they may go somewhere else. But at the end of the day, um, something we like to say is that we, is that we punch way above our weight class, as I, as I know you know. As, a, as the 17th largest city and the 23rd largest uh, MSA in the country, I believe those are the most recent uh, rankings for us. I think uh, we're, we're the up to 15th city now. But oh, we're now 15th in the city. Yes, I think we just beat uh, San Francisco, but you know they're like 60 square miles and we're 300. And, uh, that's a whole right. other story. <laughs> right, exactly. But but even having said that, you know we we recognize you know our relative size as a community and the fact that we have a, a world class airport that gives our customers and our and the passengers in our region unprecedented access to the national trans, air transportation system. We've got almost 800 daily flights going to somewhere between 170 and 180 uh, nonstop destinations. Um, you, you compare that to some other communities of similar size across the country, Raleigh, Durham, Indianapolis, Nashville, and other, other communities, um, you're, you're, not, you're seeing only a small fraction of that. And I know, you know, for a lot of listeners, Charlotte is, Charlotte Douglas is probably the place where the planes fly in and out of, but the airport has been developing more uh, non-aeronautical sources of revenue, um, developing, you know, rezoning land for things like light industrial and uh, distribution. You know, I think that really kind of kicked into high gear with the um, intermodal uh, train rail yard out there, which opened, uh, I want to say back in 2012 or so, so about a decade ago. Um, How important are those other, you know, not directly uh, airplane related sources of revenue going forward? And how much of a change is that from, you know, uh, when you moved to Charlotte and first started working with the airport? Eli, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's something that we're particularly astute to is the importance of developing our non-aeronautical revenue sources. If COVID didn't teach us anything else, it taught us the importance of diversifying the type of revenues that are generated at the airport. Most folks might think that the vast majority of the revenues that we receive are from the airlines, and they are obviously a very significant source of, of revenues for us. But, but we continue to look to our non-airline, non-aeronautical revenue sources uh, as a way to, to maintain and enhance our self-sufficiency. As, as I'm sure you're well aware, we do, we do not take a nickel from the, from the local tax base. We are ent- entirely self-sufficient. In fact, the FAA uh, requires that we operate in a financially self-sufficient way. And our non-aeronautical revenue streams are a big part of, of how we can do that. So we start first at looking at more, I guess, traditional non-aeronautical sources like parking. Um, we just introduced the new parking revenue control system, an online booking system. That's that's really a tremendous product and encourage anyone who might be listening to, to consider downloading the app and checking out the new online and, and reserved parking that are offered at discount rates um, is a big part of our growth strategy. Uh, looking at ground transportation, we're looking at uh, uh, the, uh, the, the disruptors, if you will, the transportation network companies 
We're looking at you know making sure that taxi cab and limousines continue to be able to have good access at affordable rates. Uh, on, on the flip side, we're also looking at those, op- those non-traditional opportunities that you were mentioning, looking at how we can develop some of the land you know, that the airport owns and immediately adjacent to the airport for opportunities to develop that non-aeronautical revenue. Um, you know, looking at things like uh, uh, Amazon, the new Amazon that was constructed, the Amazon Distribution Center that was constructed off Wilkinson Boulevard, that was a piece of property that we owned, partnered with uh, Amazon ultimately sold that property to Amazon so that they could construct their distribution facility. And and that's helpful to us in a couple different ways. First, we did not anticipate that that land would ultimately have an aeronautical use. Uh, But what it did provide us with is a additional source of revenue that could be generated and then put back into the capital program as an additional funding source. And a sorting and distribution center is is actually a really good partner and neighbor for an airport. Um, We always wanna be really mindful that when we're developing those, those non-aeronautical uh, land areas that we're doing so, not only for financial self-sufficiency, but also in a compatible way. So we wanna work really closely with the city's planning department and making sure not only from a zoning perspective, but when we're actually developing land and they're actually putting those, those developments uh, around the airport that they are uh, compatible with, air, with aircraft noise. You mentioned the intermodal facility, trains don't care much for uh, airplane noise. They're not going to call us with complaints. We're not annoying them, um, much like uh, distribution centers and uh, light and heavy industrial sites are also really good uh, types of development to occur around an airport. So, so it is, it's kind of a two, two-piece equation there. It is the, the, the financial self-sufficiency and also um, just making sure it's, it's compatible development. So we've mentioned it a few times. Let's talk about um, COVID and how the pandemic has changed operations and and could change things going forward. Um, I think the latest numbers released by the airport showed you're back up to uh, 43 million passengers in uh, 2021. You know, that's down from the record 50.2 million in 2019, but way up from the 27 million in 2020, kind of the, the depths of the pandemic. Um, business travel, I saw, is still uh, down a smaller part of the mix um, compared to leisure historically. Uh, but I saw um, Haley Gentry, the CEO, saying full recovery by 2023 looks likely um, in the, the latest, I think, Q&A with her on uh, your website. So aside from the passenger impacts, which I think, you know, were both not surprising. And then I've flown through it a few times. And, you know, last year saw, you know, it doesn't look like there's any pandemic other than people wearing masks. It was very full last year. Um, aside from the passenger impacts, what other impacts have you seen? How is it shaping your view going forward? And what adjustments have you made that might be uh, more than temporary? Yeah. So as a CFO, I'm um, particularly astute to the to the impacts uh, to the airport resulting from COVID. Um, very happy to report, however, that we continue to prosper through the pandemic. Uh, COVID touched everything that we do, but I will say that we've never closed, and that's something that we're that we're very proud to be able to to, to acknowledge. Even though COVID impacted the passenger numbers, uh, it did impact our ability to generate those revenues. As passengers are the ones ultimately who are parking their cars who are buying concessions and ultimately represent the demand 
for the uh, for the airlines to, to, to provide the service. Uh, very thankful to report that we were able to maintain um, our financial position quite well through the pandemic. And it kind of goes back to a part of our management strategy. We are a very conservatively managed airport. We always want to make sure that we've got sufficient reserves uh, to be able to weather uh, unprecedented events. Uh, we would oftentimes take um, take hits from some of our airline partners in terms of why are you hoarding so much cash? But the reality is, I think we have proven that our strategy was 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 a responsible one and one that worked quite well for us. Uh, would also acknowledge the uh, the participation with the with the federal government, who have uh, who have been uh, most generous with a package of federal stimulus grants that we have used to help us kind of bridge some of the gaps in terms of how we uh, continue to pay for the cost of our operations and service our debt requirements. Um, one of the biggest things that we immediately realized, Eli, when, when traffic started to drop is we needed to prioritize as a management teams. Um, how do we look at COVID? How does COVID affect our business? And there's really three things that we identified that, that we felt like we needed to do immediately that really touches every area of our, of our organization and really affects all of our decision-making, not only now, but it's probably going to be permanent, to be honest with you. The first thing is how do we keep our, our passengers and our employees safe? Um, you know, Before we did anything else, we wanted to make sure that the traveling public felt like the airport environment was one that, that was at the top in terms of being a safe place to go. Um, honestly, when I go through the terminal building, I feel like I'm breathing cleaner air than, you know, anywhere because of all the different things that we've that we've done. We've introduced uh, ultraviolet technologies on our handrails that eliminate, um, you know, germs for, from high touch point locations. We have, we've introduced new high tech air filtration systems to make sure that we're capturing and cleansing all of the air in the building um, on a continuous basis. We have increased the amount of janitorial work that we do in the terminal building, making sure that you know, all the seats are being wiped down, the bathrooms are being attended to, and using the latest technologies to make sure that the facility is as, as clean as it possibly can be. Um, after that, uh, we, we wanted to make sure that we were protecting our employees. Um, you know, when, when you lose uh, you know, 40, 45% of your customers almost overnight, uh, there is a, a sense that, okay, we have to really look at the priorities in terms of how we continue to spend our, our monies. Um, obviously, we have bills to pay, um, operating contracts to pay, but most importantly, we have about 700 highly dedicated employees that, that, um, that serve the airport, and we require those employees to help us do all those things that we need to do, you know, whether it's cleaning or whether it's just keeping the airport operational, and we prioritized how to protect those jobs. And I'm glad to say that um, in comparison to some other airports that I'm aware, we did not have to, uh, to furlough or lay off any of our employees. So again, we kind of put the employees at the top of the list to, to protect them. And third was uh, just acknowledging the financial impacts and burdens on our business partners. This absolutely devastated the airline industry, as we all know. Up until this point, the airlines were enjoying unprecedented levels of profits. They had finally gotten, their, gotten up on their feet and were actually being financially successful um, after they had recovered initially from, from the 9-11 tragedy. Um, through a series of, of airline consolidations and other efforts, they were able to, to, to start making money, which is, which is really good for the traveling public to have good, reliable 
airline service across the country. But when COVID hit, uh, obviously the passengers dried up, that immediately impacted the airlines. It also impacted our other business partners at the airport. I would uh, point to our, our concession partners, uh, food beverage concessionaires, retail concessionaires, uh, rental car companies, and, and really all of the different companies that do business at the airport were impacted. And so we wanted to prioritize what we could do as an airport to, to provide a way for, for them to continue to be successful so that we can weather the storm together. And the airport uh, met with uh, all of our tenants on a regular basis. We were really creative about ways that we could um, uh, provide some rent relief in the form of rent deferrals. But at the end of the day, we still had to protect our financial bottom line. But I felt like at the, at the end of the day that we were successful. And I think that, that our concession and airline partners appreciate the willingness of the airport to work carefully with them so that we could all get through this thing together. But going forward, Eli, I really expect that there's probably going to inherently be a lot of these changes uh, that will be uh, permanent. Uh, you know, and you're talking about safety and health in our terminal. We will not back down from safety. Hopefully, once we get through the pandemic, we will continue to prioritize the uh, the safety and security of our customers. And so that's something that we that that I think that the traveling public can continue to expect from CLT. And. I think uh, the financial reserves you mentioned, um, you know, the last uh, comprehensive annual financial report I saw, I think was 2020, and it was about 800 days of cash on hand. Um, did you have to draw down those reserves? Um, I imagine this is probably like the ultimate validation of that strategy of having a lot for a rainy day. Yeah, no, yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, so days of cash in hand or liquidity, as, as we like to refer to it as well. Um, has maintained uh, relatively consistent even through the pandemic. Again, given the fact that we were able to access some federal stimulus grants that had we not been able to access, that is what that days of cash on hand would be available for. Um, for those that may be unfamiliar, that, that calculation just refers to the amount of cash that we have and how many days of our operations can we pay without generating a nickel in revenue. Um, we were able to continue to generate revenues, although not at the levels that we had historically. We also looked at every opportunity to cut expenses that we consider to be non-operationally essential. Um, as I mentioned before, keeping our, our, uh, our employees was, was a big part of that equation, putting the employees at the top and also putting the, the critical operating contracts that the airport requires to operate uh, on a daily basis, uh, prioritizing those, but also looking at contracts that may be sensitive to the levels of passenger traffic. Um, there were a number of, of contracts that we that we have that um, are kind of influenced to some extent based on how many customers are in the building. So we cut a significant amount of operating expense that still allowed us to, to operate, although um, not in ways that we enjoyed historically but in ways that, uh, that still allowed us to, to, to pay our bills and, and to be able to maintain operations. Uh, the federal stimulus components of that, uh, we received about $350 million through three different programs. Uh, it was the CARES, CARISA, and ARPA programs. I don't need to uh, bore you with all those acronyms, but three, three, three different stimulus programs that ultimately provided us with an additional close to $350 million and funding over, over an 18 to 24 month period. Uh, we were able to use those funds to help us satisfy uh, many of our debt obligations, uh, also strategically program some of that money to assist with some of our capital development 
help offset some of our cost of operations and payroll expenses are just a few examples of how we were able to put that money to work and still allow us to protect that very strong cash position that is, that is a hallmark of CLT. And just stepping back um, a little bit, you know, you've been in this industry for, uh, for a few decades. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen, you know, COVID aside, um, in aeronautical management, in managing um, airport operations? What are some interesting trends, changes you've noticed? Yeah, so great question. Um, you know, just having been in the industry now, it's hard to say uh, about 25 years or so, there has been some very transformative changes uh, to the industry since I first came in in the late 90s. Uh, the first thing that kind of comes to mind, Eli, is, is the consolidation of the airline industry has had a huge impact on, on the industry itself. Uh, you know, when I first came into the industry, there were probably, I don't know, maybe 14 large national U.S. carriers at the time um, through a series of different consolidation efforts. I think the airline industry recognized that in order for itself to really become self-sustaining and profitable, that it needed to look at, at opportunities to consolidate. And there was a lot of uh, antitrust concerns that, that, were, that were recognized, but ultimately the federal government approving uh, a series of, of critical airline mergers really changed the game. Here in Charlotte, as I'm sure you, you might recall, like you've been here long enough, um, as a former Piedmont, first Piedmont Airlines, then U.S. Airways, then uh, U.S., uh, I'm sorry, U.S. Air, and then U.S. Airways, and then ultimately with the merger of American, um, you know, dealing with those different corporate uh, entities, each with their own corporate philosophies, uh, really has influenced how we do our business, thankfully. Uh, we have survived all the consolidation. As consolidation came, there was a lot of consolidation among the hubbing network in the United States as well. And, uh, and American specifically has pointed to Charlotte, not only from a cost structure, but, but our geographical position is, is basically being halfway between Miami and New York along the eastern seaboard continues to provide American with, with a critical uh, hubbing network that really is their prime a hub for the, the north-south flow between Miami and New York and south to the Caribbean. And we were able to maintain that position. But again, you know, I think the, I do think the cost structure uh, allowed us to, to continue to maintain that competitive advantage that maybe some other airports didn't enjoy. The other thing, Eli, just to touch on one of the major changes that I think that we're seeing right now after consolidation and probably more important for us now and going forward is the importance of Innovation, technology, and information. Um, we are absolutely in a digital age, as we all know right now. Um, there's lots of opportunities for, for new innovation. Uh, we recognize that the way people travel today is very different than the way people traveled 20 years ago. You might recall getting your old paper tickets and, and, um, and starting your trip and you know, make sure that you had your tickets in your hand and going to the airport, uh, going and checking in with the, uh, the airline ticket agents. Uh, today, it's, it's really a seamless experience, and we really have a lot, we've come a long way, but there's a lot of work still to be done to make sure that we're meeting the passengers where they are. And where the passengers are, it's, it's the morning before they, you know, probably wake up in the morning, they've got a online boarding pass. We want to start interacting with them and providing them with, with essential information like uh, availability of, of parking locations. We want to remove that stress for customers that come to the airport not knowing should I go to long-term one today? 
uh, should I go to the business valet option? Um, they have a series of options that they connect on their app and, uh, and access the online booking system where they'll be able to, to relieve some of those burdens. They'll be able to say, okay, I, I can actually park in the hourly deck today for 40% less than the, than the former hourly rate. And that rate may very well be competitive with the long-term lot. And so really it's just doing things like that to engage and interact with the customers to remove those, those burdens and, and make the whole process seamless. A couple other things that we're looking at doing is, you know, talking about data and innovation is looking at, you know, our security checkpoints as an example. How can we get that information to the customers so that even before they get to the terminal building, if they're riding on the buses, how can we communicate that information to them to let them know, hey, you know, check, uh, checkpoint B looks like the place to be today. And so hopefully that eliminates some of the stress and burden. And also it helps the airport operationally by helping us spread the loads of customers out amongst the security checkpoints and, uh, and helps expand our overall capacity. So it's really just making sure that we're, um, we're always looking to uh, other airports here in the US. We look at other airports in Europe um, who typically tend to be innovators in, uh, in technology um, to, to help with these improved processes. So I think it's those, I think it's those two things, Eli, consolidation and innovation are, are two of the biggest changes. Well, as we come to the end of our time here, uh, final question is, you know, if you had a magic wand, if you were emperor for the day, whatever it might be, and you could change anything about uh, Charlotte Airport or beyond, what would it be and why? Well, you know, having lived here for 25 years and experiencing the benefits of, of the growth of, of the community have been super exciting. But just like with, with anything else, being one of the fastest growing cities in the, in the nation can come with its own, with its own challenges. From an airport perspective, yeah, I have to ask myself, how do we continue to grow in a smart way? How can we better connect Charlotte and the region to the rest of the world? How can we deploy innovative solutions to enhance global connectivity? Those are all kind of the big things that, that I think remain challenges for the community. I'd also point to just being inter interconnected with the community. You know, we're looking to partner with uh, uh, Charlotte Area Transportation System or CATS. Uh, as they look for, their, for that, their next phase of development with the Silver Line, we've been intimately involved in those conversations with CATS in terms of, you know, what the future growth looks like for local transit. Uh, I, think all those are, I think all those are challenges, but I think it, they're challenges that hopefully the community appears to, to embrace and recognize and will help us uh, uh, chart a path going forward. But, uh, you know, from an airport perspective, it, it is at the end of the day, it's, it's it's us continuing to want to provide that global connectivity that connects people with business. And uh, I just want to share a little uh, a new program that, that we're introducing this year. It's called uh, Connections Happen Outside the Terminal. And so it's not just about the numbers. I'm a CFO, I'm a numbers guy, but we certainly recognize as a leadership team the importance of connecting uh, all those different things together. How do you put people with business and how do you put organizations with business and with people and as a, as a major economic asset in the city, we have a responsibility to make sure that we continue to try to do whatever we can to make those connections happen. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, the best place to find out more about the airport and what you all are up to, uh, where is that for folks if they're uh, maybe not traveling, but maybe their interest is piqued? So our website is, is cltairport.com, just, like just like it sounds. Um, that has a plethora of information available to the traveling public. 
anything that really you want to know about the airport, um, opportunity, parking, um, airport information, uh, the concessions and their locations, and really all the up-to-date information is, is provided on our website. Also like to shamelessly plug a, the new, our new app that we have available. Um, the app is, is available free for download on the app store. Um, and, and that app contains a lot of that information I was talking about, about how you can access a public parking information and also the, the online booking system so folks can get in there, reserve their, their spots and try to identify some, some discounts that we're making available. Uh, I know we also have uh, a presence on, on Twitter and a number of other social media outlets, Facebook and, and Instagram, uh, we're, we're all out there. Uh, we have a great communications department who really tries every single day to get out there, interact with our customers and try to push out information as quickly as it becomes available to us. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. All right, thank you so much, Eli. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate it, share it with your friends, and keep looking to the future, Charlotte.